This is episode number 180 with Tao Ben-Shahar. New concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Reach your full potential. Reach your full potential. Small win, small win, small win. Keep your momentum going. The Success 101 Podcast. Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. And each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 Podcast. As always, this is your host, Jared Warren, and so excited to be here with you guys today. Look, guys, there are just some podcasts that move the needle. This certainly is going to be one of those today as I bring on Tal Ben-Shahar onto the Success 101 podcast, someone who I have learned a ton from, and I cannot wait for you to hear his message today. But first, you'll never guess what I'm doing right now. I am staring directly into the sun. Not really, but don't tell my brain that because it doesn't know the difference. If you're following me on social media or if you've heard this podcast before, you may have heard me mention how much I absolutely love the human charger. Guys, recent discoveries have shown that there are photosensitive receptors throughout the human brain, much like those located in the retina of the eye. So those receptors are accessed by light flowing through the ear canals or through the nasal cavity, if you use it that way, using the human charger. So this bright light therapy device uses advanced LED earbuds. And when those photosensitive areas of the brain are stimulated by light, it affects your neural circuits via neurotransmitters. I know, it's like sci-fi stuff, right? It builds serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline. So what you experience, guys, is an increase in energy levels, improved mood, increased mental alertness, quicker recovery from jet lag. You can use it as a pre-workout before you go to the gym, as many of you guys have mentioned doing before. I use it every morning whenever I wake up to help me pound less caffeine or just get alert much faster. And really, when you start setting your circadian rhythms right out of the gate the right way each day, you're going to notice a huge difference in your overall peak performance. The greatest advantage I love about this, guys, for someone like me who is constantly on the go is how fast and easy it is to use. Again, you put these earbuds in and after a 12-minute session, you are geared up and ready to go. If you guys want 20% off your order, please head to success101podcast.com forward slash human charger. And in the promo code at checkout, please enter success101 to snag your 20% off. This little tiny gimmicky seeming device, and I know that's what some of you are thinking out there, has been a game changer for me and something that I cannot stop talking about. Go grab yours today. Speaking of things I can't stop talking about, or drinking for that matter, is this creation by my good friends over at Ample, A-M-P-L-E. In fact, if you want to know more about this after the podcast, go to amplemeal.com and you can find out more about it for yourself. But it's soy-free, gluten-free, non-GMO, no artificial sweeteners, no artificial flavors, all the goodness that you want packed into a meal replacement drink in a 400 or 600 calorie version. The nutritional profile of this thing is off the charts, guys. It's got healthy fats, super, super high quality healthy fats. It's got quality proteins, clean burning carbohydrates that have a low glycemic impact, probiotics, fiber, prebiotics, plant-based micronutrients, and a ton of other good things like Himalayan sea salt, lemon juice, cinnamon, monk fruit extract, stevia extract, dried honey, need I say more? 
So go grab your 400 or 600 calorie awesomeness in a bottle by ordering Ample. My team has made that so easy to set up. Just head to success101podcast.com forward slash Ample. Again, that's A-M-P-L-E to go grab 15% off your order. And let's face it, guys, I wouldn't steer you in the wrong direction on anything, but this is a bottle full of goodness. I cannot wait for you to go grab your own. Guys, my book is still available as well for just the shipping cost at success101podcast.com forward slash book. And at checkout, enter Success 101 if you're in the United States to grab your paperback version for just the shipping cost. If you would prefer the ebook reader or if you live outside of the United States, the ebook reader is the option for you for about the same cost. And believe me, you're going to want to have your hands on this as I continue to go through the live episodes, breaking down section by section, chapter by chapter of this vision building strategy manual that has helped so many of you guys reframe how you're thinking about your vision, your compelling why, the six vision building activities, the five components for building your strategy has brought back a ton of feedback my way for how you guys are using this. So again, head to success101podcast.com forward slash book, grab your paperback or ebook reader version. Today, especially as we get ready to gear up for 2018 right around the corner and you're making your end of year vision planning strategies. Now, on to our incredible show today with my good friend Tal Ben-Shahar. For those of you guys who haven't heard about Tal Ben-Shahar, you've likely heard of a lot of his work. Not only is he an author and lecturer, he taught two of the largest classes in Harvard University's history, positive psychology and the psychology of leadership. Today, Tao consults and lectures around the world to executives in multinational corporations, the general public, and at-risk populations. The topics he lectures on include leadership, happiness, education, innovation, ethics, self-esteem, resilience. I could go on and on, but basically everything toward leadership, peak performance, business, and what you guys want to hear about. Above all, he's a huge coach and advocate for mindfulness. We dive into a lot of that today, and his books have been translated into more than 25 languages and have appeared on bestsellers lists around the world. As you'll hear, we go pretty deep today around a true understanding of why Tal writes so much about happiness and what that means to him, framing happiness and peak performance in your own mind, being cautious about getting caught up in the pursuit of perfection, dealing with anxiety and the brain-body connection, external versus internal achievements and how we have dealt with those in Western versus Eastern cultures. We dove really deep into that and had a fascinating conversation around it. How meditation changes the brain and why it is crucially important for us to have meditation locked into our daily habits. And we even covered data about one of the life-changing strategies he writes about in the four personality archetypes. Which one do you fall in line with? The rat racer, the hedonist, the nihilist, or the happy archetype? I think you're going to love hearing about that. This is one you don't want to miss on the Success 101 podcast, so please share it with friends, family members, anyone you feel like could benefit from being more connected, more aware, dealing with less stress and the brain-body connection, and even where you or others fall within the four personality archetypes. So without any further delay, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Tal Ben-Shahar to the Success 101 podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. What an honor it is to have Tal Ben-Shahar here on the show. How are things going, Tal? Going very well. Glad to be on the show. 
Well, I'm glad to have you here. I know we've uh, had a little bit of tough time getting things scheduled with your travels and communication issues and technology issues, but here we are. It was bound to happen. I wanted to make sure I got you on for the wealth of knowledge that you have and how many times you have been mentioned on the Success 101 podcast already in certain other episodes. And I'm just so honored to have you on, but also excited for my listeners because I know you give so many actionable takeaways. And when we're talking about peak performance, which is what this podcast is centered around, Much of your work centers around that, either directly or indirectly. But I think I want to start off on the concept of happiness and how you define happiness. And I know there's some people that maybe disagree with your definition of happiness out there, but you've got data to back that up through other countries. But then also the pursuit of happiness has really been proven to be exactly opposite of what makes people happy. Why don't we take that whatever direction you want to, and let's start diving in there, if you don't mind. Sure. So, um, you know, the definition of happiness is, uh, is very much debated. And it's okay that it's debated, and it actually doesn't matter that much, because when you give a definition of happiness, it's a little bit like beauty. You know, you, you know it when you, when you see it. The key when, when defining happiness is to understand this is not the ultimate or only or definitive definition of happiness. It's a definition that is something that we can work with. And that is the most important because, you know, happiness, unlike many other topics, is, um, is interesting because it's practical. You know, so it's not just for theoretical reasons and for theoretical precisions that we want to define happiness. It's for, you know, how is it going to help my life? How is it actually going to make me happier? So with, with that in mind, the, the definition that I found most useful for happiness is one that encompasses the five elements of, uh, of, of a human being. And these five elements would be uh, spiritual well-being, physical well-being, intellectual well-being, relational or interpersonal well-being, and finally emotional well-being. And when we can uh, enjoy, experience well-being in each of these five elements, spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional, that is when we're fulfilling our potential for for happiness, for a full and fulfilling life. And I'm glad you mentioned that that's personal to different people. And it doesn't matter if we disagree on this definition because of just that. It is different for different people. I know that the data that you have shown in your writings, if, you know, like I said, people don't agree with that definition of happiness, you'd say it's not just a feeling of one person to the next, but rather studies have been done on countless or all the countries out there that back that data up. Talk to me a little bit about people who aren't happy all the time. So if they hear your writing on happiness, happiness this, happiness that, they go, well, wait a minute, if I'm not happy all the time, but yet I feel like those five elements are lining up personally for me in my life, what about people that fall into those categories or people who are even trying to suppress negative emotions to force themselves to be happy? Right. So you see, you know, so the last... uh element that I mentioned was the emotional element. And here it's, it's very important to understand that a happy life is not a life which is devoid of painful emotions. You know, I, I often say that there, there are only two kinds of people who do not experience painful emotions such as anger or sadness or anxiety or, or disappointment or, or envy. You know, two kinds of people. The, the first kind are the psychopaths and the second kind of people who do not experience these emotions are dead. So experiencing, you know, sadness or envy or, or anxiety or, or anger at times, it's actually, it's actually a good sign. It means that you're not a psychopath and you're alive. Um, the, the problem in today's culture, and, and here, here lies the real misunderstanding, is that a happy life is a life that is devoid of painful emotions. And you know, many people come to me and say, 
So, Tal, have, have you mastered the, uh, the art and science of happiness? And of course, what they mean by that is, are you happy or do you experience a high all the time? And the answer is uh, uh, no. And I hope uh, not to master it for a very long time because I hope to live for a very long time. And uh, again, only dead people and psychopaths don't experience painful emotions. Yeah, and I've heard, uh, you know, similar things before where, you know, maybe they don't describe it that way. I love how you put that. But all people, if you have just a just a normal thinking mind and you're dealing with the chaotic world that we live in today out there, you're going to have those emotions. And it doesn't mean you, you're not happy or you haven't mastered this happiness or you're on the wrong track. It just means that you're human, you're normal, you're alive. I'm going to bring this from the context of the West, which I know your background started off in Israel, I believe. Why do you think we in the West suppress emotions so often? I've heard countless you know, papers and books and things that talk about how we just deal with emotions very, I guess for lack of better words, just incorrectly over here, very unhealthily. Why do we suppress emotions so often over here in our culture when that is the sign of the life, that you're a normal functioning person? Right. Um, you see, the, the model that we have in the West is, is that of a machine. You know, this, the, the machine has really, uh, we, we've done very well in terms of creating machines. Uh, the machines have done very well by us in terms of uh, contributing to our life. So that has become our model, you know, whether it's the industrial revolution, it's the, you know, the, the steam engine or today it's the, uh, the microprocessor. And this is our ideal. Now, uh, an ideal machine is one that doesn't, doesn't break down, that can go on and on and on. Um, and this is how we've, you know, our computers crash less often and, uh, you know, engines fail less often. And that seems to be the ideal for a human being. But that is not, uh, unfortunately, here is where the, the analogy or the, the metaphor uh, breaks because we, we, we're not machines. You know, I, I often say, you know, I, I am a passionate human being, not a perfect machine. <laughs> All right. And uh, striving to be a, a perfect machine is, is counterproductive. It will actually lead to suboptimal performance and, and low, lower levels of happiness. Look at emotions as, as ongoing feedback. It's sort of like the printout of our system. And if, if I experience uh, anxiety or sadness or, or anger or whatever emotion, that provides me with, with the printout of how my system is doing. And then I can ask myself, okay, so why am I feeling anxiety? Or why am I feeling anger? Or why am I feeling uh, envy or sadness? There are always reasons for these, uh, uh, for these emotions. And trying to figure it out, that can take us to the next level. Because that's also a step towards, uh, or, or stepping the right direction in terms of how can I feel better or what can I do to reach a higher level of, uh, of performance or functioning. So, so see them as feedback, see them as printouts, not to dismiss them. So it's not to say, oh, well, you know, I'm experiencing sadness, whatever. It, it is important to, to, to look inside and, and to analyze and to ask ourselves why these emotions are present. So if we know that those emotions are there and we know that we are actively identifying them, what would you say? I know there's people out there that try to give a lot of advice on this. In fact, if you go into any bookstore out there, self-help is you know likely one of the largest sections. And there's everybody in social media on every corner that you turn trying to give self-help advice. Personally, how does someone break out of a cycle of negativity or unhappiness who really wants that pursuit, not maybe of perfectionism, but of that happiness, really mastering those five elements. Yeah, so, so the first step is uh, acceptance, full acceptance of the emotion, whatever it is. 
the paradox here is that when we reject painful emotions, they actually only intensify. You know, you see it in uh, in in the workplace. You see it among athletes. You know, I, my my background is in uh, in in sports. I played professional squash, and and I remember whenever I used to get anxious, at least for the first few years of uh, of my career, I would say to myself, "Todd, don't get anxious. Don't get nervous." You know, before tournaments, big games. And of course, what happened was the exact opposite of, of my intention. I would only get more nervous and more anxious. Whereas if I would just let myself experience the emotion and flow, literally flow through me, then it, is, it would be much more likely to, to dissipate, to weaken, and ultimately to come down to the healthy levels. So, that, so that's one thing. The other thing, uh, in addition to acceptance, is to reframe these emotions. You know, one of the mistakes that many people make about experiencing uh, an emotion like anxiety is that they try to invoke its opposite. Now, the opposite of anxiety would be calm. And they would say, okay, now breathe deeply and feel calm. That actually usually doesn't work. Why? Because it's calm is so far removed from anxiety that, 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 that we can't deal with it, we can't handle it, and, and as a result, uh, failing to, to do what we try to do, it very often gets, gets worse or we feel helpless in the face of anxiety. However, if we experience anxiety and say to ourselves, uh, okay, now experience excitement. Now, anxiety and excitement are very close physiologically. Right. In fact, they're, they're almost identical. And when I experience uh, anxiety in my body physiologically, you know, there's the adrenaline, the epinephrine, this is you know, going through my, my, my system, it doesn't take much to switch that anxiety to excitement. And it can be done just with a reframing, cognitive reframing. I'm excited. I'm, I'm so much looking forward to, uh, to playing, to, to speaking in front of an audience or whatever it is that, in, that induced the anxiety. You're human like the rest of us. You're not a machine. You have passions, you have pursuits, you have emotions, and you also have anxiety. You had mentioned that telling yourself to be calm and be relaxed actually sometimes for most people can bring on more of that. Are you doing any sort of cognitive meditations, deep breathing? What do your rituals look like for calming yourself down when it comes to that type of situation? Good. Yeah. You know, Jared, you asked me if, uh, a few minutes ago about what do we do in, in the West for thousands of years. Here in the West, we've made incredible progress when it comes to the external world. You know, I, I'm, I'm in New York City. I look outside my window and I'm, I'm amazed. Uh, you know, the you know the buildings, the technology. We've landed. Uh, you know, a man on the moon. Soon, uh, you know, a person will land on Mars. It's actually quite remarkable what we have done, starting with the ancient Greeks, all the way you know to the Renaissance, the Industrial Revolution, now the the IT revolution. Amazing stuff. But that's all the external world. When it comes to the internal world, we haven't done well. We've actually done very poorly. In fact, levels of depression and anxiety are, are, are on the rise. Levels of happiness are going down. We're just not doing well when it comes to the internal world. So this is, you know, very uh, broadly speaking, what we have done in the West. Now, let, let's move to the East. In the East, for thousands of years, the, the external world was, was left untouched. You know, it was doing just fine as it was, you know, no, no need for external intervention, no significant progress when it comes to the external world. And even the progress that we see today in the East, much of it uh, comes from, from the West, Western technology, Western science, uh, and so on. However, 
when you look at the internal world, remarkable progress has been has been made in the East over the past uh, few thousand years. Really remarkable. The West has done uh, has done very well externally, quite poorly uh, when it comes to the internal world. Uh, the East, in contrast, has not done much externally, but a great deal internally. That's so interesting. I've never I've never thought about it that way before. That's that's such a great point. You know, and, and this is what I've been thinking about a lot of the last uh, few years, also when it comes to my personal practice. So most of my personal practice today revolves around meditation and yoga. I'm also a yoga teacher. And I have found so many more answers, uh, so many more effective techniques. And there's a great deal of wisdom, and we need to, to use it a, a great deal more. Now, here is the thing, though. There are no shortcuts, no exception. It's all about practice. And this practice, it means putting in the time. You know, just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't learn how to play the piano by, by just reading a book and understanding how to play the piano. You would need to practice it hours and hours a day in the same way. Do you want a more fulfilled, uh, happy life? Well, you need to put in the time. And that means meditating on a regular basis or doing yoga or some form of mind work that will uh, enable you to be calmer, to, to have you know, what I describe as a stronger psychological immune system. Because remember, a strong immune system doesn't mean you don't get sick. It just means you get sick less often. And when you do get sick, you, you get well more promptly. You recover more promptly. What would you say to that type of person who says, I'm not making time for it each day. It's an afterthought. Sometimes I do it, sometimes I forget, but it just doesn't really seem like it's doing a whole lot for me when it comes to that practice idea that you just mentioned, I guess, is how I'm framing that. Yes. Yeah, so, so a couple of things, you know, what, you know, I, I came up with the same, you know, what, what today I see as an excuse. Well, when I started studying it and then I went to uh, my teacher and I said, you know, I just don't have time. I have so many things on my, on my plate. Uh, and, he, and, and he asked me, did you brush your teeth this morning? And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, are you going to brush your teeth tonight? And I said, yeah, I do at least twice a day, every day. And he said, well, why? And I said, because, you know, hygiene is important for me, for my health. And he said, well, mental hygiene is no less important. And this is what meditation is, is all about. It's about mental hygiene. You know, in fact, people have been meditating for many years, um, they, they don't really need to meditate every day. You know, they have their, you know, to, to use a metaphor, more than a metaphor, because it is quite an apt description, is, you know, their meditation muscles are in the long-term memory. So it's not like, it's like riding a bike. They already are much more present than most people are. So they don't really need to meditate every day. However, they do. Why? Because they say that it's like leaving home without brushing your teeth. Something just doesn't feel right. So, so, so they do it on a regular basis and, and, and there is no other way. And, you know, in the past, I used to say, okay, so I first have to get my five hours of, of work uh, a day, you know, writing or, or whatever I was, I was doing, you know, preparing lectures. And after that, you know, I will, I will, I will meditate. And, but sometimes, you know, I would be so tired after and I had other things and, and urgent things. So I wouldn't get to it. Today is the first thing that I do when I wake up. First thing that I do. Why? Because it then paints the, the, the entire canvas of my whole day. It actually affects how I write later. It affects how I interact with my kids later. It, it, it affects how, how I experience my life, how strong or weak my psychological immune system is. So I do it before everything else because it's the, it, it's the foundation. Now, I spoke earlier of the spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional well-being. Well, Meditation affects every single one of these elements. It affects how we experience life spiritually, whether we experience meaning in our life. 
It affects us physically. There's a lot of research showing the impact of meditation on physical health. It affects us intellectually. We, we're much more f- focused, sharp uh, when, when we meditate regularly. It affects our relationships significantly. We're a lot calmer, more open towards other people, more generous if we meditate. And finally, it, it affects our emotional state. Doing these practices, and again, what kind of meditation? You, know, you have to find what works for you. But doing this kind of mind work on a daily basis, I cannot overemphasize how important that is. Not to give pushback on this, but if somebody was to be, you know, a naysayer on this, they could say, "Well, Tal, I, uh, you know, I, I brush my teeth in the morning because I know I should, but really, my <laughs> my mouth tastes awful whenever I wake up. So it's not even as much of a habit as it is just, oh, I know I need to go clean my mouth." For many people out there, they're not starting off their day with meditation because they just haven't felt the benefits of it yet like you have, where you know that if you don't do it, it's going to impact those five things and maybe even ripple out into other things. Yes. If we can hang on this just a little bit longer, maybe speak to that to someone who says, well, the, the toothbrush thing really isn't a fair analogy because I do it for, for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, you do it because your mom told you to do it for the first seven years of your life until it became uh, a ritual and here we don't have the benefit of mom telling us to meditate every day if we if we did then then we would do it we would feel just the same way um but there is something else here and and and, you know you're you're onto a very important point because it took me a long time to actually start meditating uh regularly and what for me did it was being exposed to the research so, you know, when people told me, you know, you should meditate, it has done wonders for me, and look at all those ancient texts that talk about it. Yeah, interesting, but n- not compelling enough. But once I started looking at the research, the data coming out on how meditation actually changes your brain, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's almost indisputable, you know, the, the amount of research that's coming out show, showing the benefits of it, that got me thinking, okay, I, I need to invest more in it. And then once you start investing in it, then it becomes like brushing your teeth. Um, but, but the first, the, you know, the, the initial push, at least for me, and I, and I know for many people with, with, with whom I work, whether in organizations uh, where I consult or with my, uh, in, in academic institutions, once they see the data, the very compelling data about the benefits thereof, uh, that gets them over the initial reluctance or um, it gets them to prioritize it. As children, you're exactly right. If our parents are there telling us about something, we're apt to do it. We don't need research and we don't even, who cares if our breath stinks and our, you know, our mouth tastes bad? We don't care about that as kids. We just don't want to brush our teeth half the time. As adults, we need that, the, the reports, we need the data, we need something to move the needle that shows us if you don't do this, here are the consequences. That's a great, great point. Your book that I just can't speak enough on and how I was first introduced to you, Happier, was that your first actually published work that you had put out or was there anything before that? Uh, no, before that, I'd actually put out a book on happiness. I, I self-published it because uh, 50 publishers had turned it down. So no, it wasn't my, my, my first book, but my first uh, mainstream book. That's how I was introduced to your work originally through a coach that I was working with at the time. And really, I didn't even get the book. I got the actual journal or the gratitude journal called Even Happier. And I just thought it was the greatest thing how each week you, t- you take us through a series of outside of the box or mind opening educational type ideas to help stretch and grow. One of the things that I would say was life changing for me, and I don't throw those words around lightly, were the four archetypes that you talked about in there. And there may be a lot of our listeners who have not read that book or seen the journal. 
and basically just talked about attaining lasting happiness requires that we enjoy the journey on our way, which I am very self-admittedly very poor about celebrating, very poor when it comes to enjoying the journey. It's always the chase, you know, the rat racer, the chase of whatever's over the horizon. But I need to learn how to enjoy and have. I've, I've picked up a lot of this and some of it's been from your work as well, but enjoying the journey on the way to the destination that we find valuable. Number one is the rat race archetype. Number two, the hedonism archetype. Number three is the nihilist or the nihilism archetype. And then eventually the happiness archetype, which is where we're trying to go. Can you do just a quick breakdown on those and why they impact negatively so many people out there who are really seeking after more fulfillment and happiness in their life? Yeah. So, you know, again, uh, if, if, if I go to the uh, distinction or the focus uh, between East and West, in the West, there is a great deal of focus on, on the future. So, you know, we're told from a very young age, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm four years old and, I'm, and my parents are already thinking about what, you know, what school am I going to go into? You know, sometimes today I see it in New York, parents are, are putting pressure on their kids to, you know, to go to a good kindergarten that will get them into a good elementary school, that will get them into a good high school. And it's always about the future, okay, so you get into a great college so that you get a great job and, and, and on and on. Uh, and it never ends. You know, so I'm, I'm not against delayed gratification. The problem, though, is that if we delay gratification uh, too much, we end up ungratified. Why? Because no one lives indefinitely. So if you indefinitely delay gratification, you'll never get to it. Um, and, and, and that's the Western model. And that, that's the model that I call the rat race. It's all about the future. It's all about the, the, the advancement. It's all about uh, getting to the next level at, at work, making more money, uh, um, uh, do, doing, uh, getting a bigger house and, and so on and so on and never being satisfied with what we have. So that's the rat race archety archetype. It was just as you described in the book, for me, it was always thinking that if I just got to the next you know, horizon, if I could just get over that next horizon, then I could slow down, then I would have all my ducks in a row, then I could rest, then I could relax. But what happens, you get to that horizon to realize there's really no horizon. It just keeps going. And you never learn to slow down. As you achieve more, you get comfortable with that. And you go, oh, well, maybe that wasn't the big thing. Maybe it's the next thing over the next corner. And I, I had to break myself out of that. And your work was instrumental for that part. Well, well, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you. And, you know, we, we see the, um, the manifestation of the red race, the extreme manifestation in, in the most successful people in, in our culture. So, you know, you look at the rock stars, the, you know, the, the, the real superstars, very often what happens or the, the scenario is that they're not happy, but they, they're not that concerned about it because they know that once they make it, then they'll be happy. And they struggle and they suffer perhaps and then they make it. And then they become very wealthy and very, uh, very sought after and they can get any man or woman they want and they can uh, uh, buy anything that they want. And, you know, they've fulfilled all their dreams and yet they're still not happy. And here is the problem, because now they no longer have the illusion that once they make it, once they get there, then they'll be happy because they've made it. They're there, but they realize that there is no there there. Right. And they, they're, they're scared and they're looking for answers elsewhere. They're looking for answers outside of uh, reality because reality didn't provide them the answer, the solution to their unhappiness. And what is outside? Outside means maybe drugs, maybe alcohol, or maybe the ultimate escape from reality, which is suicide. Um, and, and we see many such, such cases uh, and a great deal of misery 
among the, the highly successful people. Why? Because the model just doesn't hold water, the, the model of the rat race, that once I get there, uh, there will be a there there. There isn't. Correct. And then I did exactly what you wrote about, which is many times when we get out of the rat race and we realize that there is no there there, we switch gears almost to complete 180 to the hedonism archetype. It's like, okay, nothing's nothing's out there. There's no there there. Let me just try to make sure that I'm pleased and happy at every moment along the way, no matter what, yes. no matter what the future brings. I just want to be happy right now. Right now, exactly. And that's when we get to the hedonist. And the hedonist uh, is the opposite of the red riser. The red riser is all about the future. The hedonist is all about the present. The future doesn't matter because after all, it has provided me no um, no, um, no solace, no happiness, uh, then it, it, then I should just focus on, on, on the other side, which is the, the here and now. And that's the only thing I care about. And, and the mantra that they live by is, uh, uh, seek pleasure, avoid pain, whatever could makes me feel good now, that is what I need, what I need to do. And initially, uh, hedonism feels, feels great. And, uh, you know, you, you indulge yourself in, in, in present moment, uh, joy, ecstasy, wh whatever it takes just to feel good now. It really doesn't matter what happens in the future. And initially it's wonderful, but it doesn't last. Uh, because we're, we're also, you know, as Marty Seligman talks about, the founder of positive psychology, he, we are prospective animals as well. We, we, we do care about the future as well. So just living in the present and ignoring uh, any future ramifications or consequences that, that, that's not healthy and it's not sustainable. So the hedonist ultimately gets, gets bored, even if uh, he or she has uh, every reason to, uh, to celebrate the, the here and now. So, you know, so, so sex, dry, uh, drugs and, and, and videotapes, it's just not enough for, uh, for a happy life. We do need to something that we can look forward to. We need dreams, we need ideals. And these are all uh, in the future. Uh, so the hedonist doesn't work, but very often a person who, who tries the red race uh, archetypes, the future living, tries the hedonist archetype, the present living, uh, then realizes that neither works and then becomes resigned. And re resignation is about nihilism, it's about nothing works. And that's where they, um, uh, that's where people become depressed. You know, the difference between sadness and depression is that Depression is sadness without hope. So, you know, we all, we all experience sadness, but, but if there is no hope there, then there is the danger of it becoming uh, depression. And a person who's tried living in the future didn't work, who's tried living in the present, that didn't work, uh, is now helpless, is now hopeless, uh, is now very likely to experience uh, nihilism or in its uh, psychological um, psychological term, depression. And I think that's where your work helped me the most, just letting you know here, because I had, I had for years since my young 20s just muscled it through. I had said I was, I could outwork anybody. I was competitive. I, you know, had a lot of pride on getting very little sleep and still being able to thrive over all of my peers. And it worked until I grew up and I had children and I had an office to run and I started having weightier tasks on me. And I got completely burned out, which is kind of where, not kind of, this is where the podcast came from, was helping people understand that there is a better life out there. But I'd gotten completely burned out from what I was doing. And I got so burned out that my main aim every single day was to reduce stress, no matter what it took 
And then I became very apathetic to competition, very apathetic to uh, contests. I didn't care anymore because to me that was stress. And I had been doing that for so long that I just wanted to be happy right now, which really translated to no stress right now. And I'm so fortunate, so grateful and fortunate that things like your work and others, uh, Zig Ziglar, you know, other people, Jim Rohn, classic people that, you know, I used to think positivity was like this pie in the sky, Pollyanna, you know, it doesn't really work. You guys and your work and your writing really helped me from slipping into that that nihilist um, ideal because I didn't I didn't get there because that hope came back that, hey, you know what? I can enjoy the journey along the way and I can celebrate at the summit, but I'm missing a lot of life and wasting a lot of life not celebrating along the way. And I think, you know, we keep coming back to the West, but maybe it's this way for everybody that's hard charging, anybody running a, a business or anything uh, around the world globally. You get to that point where you just wonder, okay, what am I supposed to do now and where am I supposed to go? And if you didn't have that hope in place, um, that, that hard charging can't just last forever because you'll wear down. You'll, you'll just break down. Right. Yes, exactly. And the, the, the antidote to this uh, resignation, to this nihilism, is learning to combine the two approaches. You know, in, in a sense, bringing East and West together. So if West is future thinking and East is, is present thinking, it's about reconciling, reconciling the two. And, and the way to do it is, is to have goals, is to have ideals, is to, is to have dreams. Uh, dreams, ideals, and goals that are personally meaningful, uh, a, a sense of purpose, something that is important to you uh, to achieve uh, in, in the future. And then once you have that, and here lies the key, once you have that goal, the, the objective, the, the, the ideal, let it go. You know, there's a, there's a lovely story that I, that I quote in, 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 in my book, that I describe in my book from another uh, book, is one of my favorites called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh yeah. In which uh, in which Robert M. Piercy talks about how he um, as a young man went on an expedition towards one of the Himalayan peaks and uh, he went along with a group of monks who were all significantly older than he was, you know, he was fit and strong. And yet um, he ended up giving up. He he couldn't make it to the top. It was too grueling, too hard whereas the monks who were Know, significantly older than he was, uh, made it to the top. And upon uh, further reflection, he realized what, what had happened. And what had happened was that they all wanted to get to the peak. It was very clear where they wanted to go. But he constantly was looking up towards the peak. And when, when he looks up towards the peak, it seemed you know, ominous and, and far and, 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 and perhaps too difficult, perhaps unattainable. And, and that drained him of energy, whereas the monks, they knew just as he did where they were going. But once they knew the direction, they could let go. And, they, and, the, and then they focused on each step of the way. And each step is not ominous or scary or unattainable. It's simply a step. And they took step by step by step until they eventually got, got to the top that way. And this is a very good... Um, very good um, metaphor to think about as we go through life. Yeah, goals are important, ideals are important, but you know, they're not the, uh, they're not the source of happiness. The source of happiness is the present. It's the present when you have that future goal in the, in the back of your mind. When you have that, the, that se this sense of direction, the sense of purpose uh, guiding you. And one, once you have that, you know, just focus on what you're doing today whether it's a podcast or a, or a, 
or a paragraph that you're working on or a, or a conversation that you're having as much as possible to be present. Again, the, the power of now is Eckhart Tolle talks about. And I've often reflected on different things in my life that I'm trying to grow through and, and have grown from tremendously and becoming a different person as we all try to do and, and focus on that. And I, I haven't figured out yet why it is so hard for myself or many hard charging people out there to celebrate the journey. People who are so competitive and people who love to win so much. Any ideas you have on that through your research of why some of the most competitive people, myself included, and people I know in life just almost don't know how to celebrate along the way. I haven't figured that one out yet because it seems so contradictory and backwards to the way we right. should be viewing things. Right. You know, here, here is a way, not the only way, but a way to think about it and, and more importantly than to think about you, to do something about. So, you know, I, we are by our nature adaptive uh, beings. What does that mean? You know, we adapt. You know, my, I often think of my, my cousin who lives literally under an airport. Uh, you know, whenever an airplane uh, takes off, uh, the, 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 their house shakes. Now, when, when we go over there for dinner, you know, my kids are, are scared. Um, they don't even know, but, you know, my cousins and their kids, they don't even notice the planes taking off. Why? Because they've been living there for years and, you know, it's just they've adapted to it. We also adapt to, uh, you know, to, to losses. You know, after losing someone dear to us, initially, most people just, you know, can't function. They don't want to function. They just want to cry and, and, and crawl up in bed. But we adapt and, and we learn to integrate the experience. Most people learn to integrate the experience into their lives and they move on. Um, so, you know, we adapt. We also adapt, unfortunately, to good things. So you get a new car and, you know, you just, you, you know, you're thrilled by it and it's amazing. And, uh, and, and you just want to be in the car all, all the time. But then a month or two go by and, you know, it's a car that gets you from point A to point B. Um, same, unfortunately, with relationships. Why, why are there so many divorces? Why is there so much, uh, uh, even people who do stay together, why is there the, you know, the, the loss of love? Because initially there is the excitement, but then after a while you, you, you adapt and, uh, and you seek, you know, a, a novel experience, you know, more, more excitement. So we adapt for good and for ill. And, and this applies very much to, uh, to, to everyone, but it has an even more um, profound impact, negatively profound impact on very successful people. Why? Because when, when, when you succeed and when you do well, you, you feel good, you know, because you get external uh, validation and people, you know, patting you on your back and you see your name out there and, you know, you may be able to, you may get financial rewards and, and be able to, you know, to get stuff that you've always wanted. So successful people, you know, they get a lot of um, um, extrinsic stimulation uh, in, in their lives. And, and initially it feels amazing. Uh, but because they get a lot of it, because they're very successful, I mean, this, these are the people we're talking about, they're very successful, they get a lot of external stimulation. After a while, the, um, the impact of, of external stimulation wears off. They get used to it. And initially they say, okay, so I have to get to the next level, you know, make more money or get to a higher uh, uh, level in the organization or, uh, or become more famous and do even better and, and, and so on and so on. Initially, that's, they get to the next level, but ultimately... Even that wears off and, and there is nowhere else to go. Or even if there is a place to go and they go there, it no longer affords the same excitement because they've adapted 
to the external uh, validation. They've adapted to to success. They've adapted to to all those stimulations that in the past did it for them, but no longer do. The question is, so, so, so what's the solution? And I must say, I go back to meditation. Why? Because what does meditation do? In meditation, what I'm focusing on is a breath, or what I'm focusing on is um, a, a, a physical sensation in my, you know, in, in tip of my of my fingers, or what I'm focusing on is uh, um, a a flame. I'm focusing on minute details, and what's that that does to me? Initially, I'm very bored. But over time, I learn to experience stimulation, sufficient stimulation in those details, in those little things. So essentially what I'm doing is I'm going against the adaptation process that comes with success, a process that makes me less sensitive to stimulation and less sensitive to, um, to, um, to external changes. It makes me a lot more sensitive to them. So I become more sensitive and hence I'm able to enjoy things a lot more. And I no longer need you know, a new win or a new promotion or, or a new woman to, to, to make me happy. I'm, I'm more than content. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled, in fact, and excited and, and, and happy with, with, with what I have because I'm, I've become so sensitive and... And, and, and it's the opposite of being desensitized. I become sensitive to life. Yeah, and being in the now, being and, in the moment. It's, it's all about being in the present. Gosh, there's just so much I want to ask you. Um, I know you've done a ton of research on the power of breathing, you know, as you're talking about meditation. Just for the sake of time that we have here, I, I think what might be most helpful for my guests as we get ready to wrap up the podcast is focusing on weaknesses, why that is wrong. You know, you, there was a period of time a while back, I don't remember when, but I, all you ever heard was people saying, focus on your weaknesses, you know, shelf what you're strong about because you're already strong there. Focus on your weaknesses and overall you'll be a more well-rounded person. The exercises like the wheel of life, you know, how in balance or out of balance are you on these different things? And if it was a wheel, how bumpy would it be, you know, going down the road, those sort of things. Now so much research is coming out on focusing on weaknesses is actually the wrong approach even though people think they are so right, even if they've never been told or, cons or consulted that way, they think naturally if they work on their weaknesses, they will be better. What has your research shown people when it, when it comes to peak performance, why focusing on weaknesses really is the wrong approach to take and why focusing on our strengths alone and ignoring the weaknesses might take us much further down this path? Yeah, you know, so, so the place to look here um, as, as a, an apt analogy would, would be sports. You know, when, when I came to college, the, uh, you know, I, I was not recruited for, uh, for football. You know, I'm 5'7 I'm, I'm and, 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 and weigh very little. Uh, the football coach wasn't interested. The squash coach was interested. Why? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fast and, and, and I, can, I can run for a long time. And, you know, these are strengths that... Are, are, are good for squash, not for football, not for basketball. So, and yet when it comes to other areas, uh, such as the workplace, so many people focus on their weaknesses, trying to make football players, metaphorically speaking, out of squash players. And, um, and, 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 and that's wrong. Why is it wrong? You see, so my research mostly focused on, uh, on self-esteem, on self-confidence. Now, imagine uh, a 10-year-old girl 
who's uh, who's very strong, very good at mathematics, but you know, not not great when it comes to her uh, writing skills. Now, most schools, what would they focus on? They would focus on her writing skills, because as you said earlier, she's already good at math. You know, you know, we don't need to focus on that. Now, what happens to her self-esteem, to her self-confidence, when the focus primarily, day in and day out, is on her weak areas? Her self-esteem will go down. Now, the, the important thing, and this is where my, my research comes in, is that self-esteem knows no boundaries. Meaning, if I experience constantly failure after failure after failure, being told or, or, or experiencing myself as you know less than mediocre um, in one area, that will trickle to other areas. So if I experience it in, in writing, or this girl experience it, experiences it in writing, um, she will also lose self-confidence when it comes to her social interactions. She will ultimately also lose self-confidence in mathematics, which where she was originally good at. And we know, as the, 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 the psychologist Nathaniel Brandon said, self-concept is destiny. In other words, what we think about ourselves, how we evaluate ourselves, uh, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I think poorly of myself, I will most likely perform poorly. Um, so this is where this girl is when the, when the focus is primarily on her weak area writing. But say this same girl goes to a school or, or, or meets a teacher who, who understands that the primary focus needs to be on strength. And that teacher focuses on her math skills. First of all, what will happen is she'll get a lot better at it. As she becomes better, she'll also start helping others. She'll become a star. Her self-confidence, her self-esteem will go up. And again, self-esteem knows no boundaries. That will have an effect on her social skills. That will have an effect also on her weak areas, such as writing. And overall, she will do better. Um, and yet, most schools, most workplaces are deficiency weakness focused rather than uh, strength focused. Yeah, and I think the fear there for most people, if you think logically about it, they just assume if I only work on the things that I'm great at and I've, you know, I've kind of checked the box, so to speak, on that, that I'm going to really miss out on the overall, the overall development of myself. So I have to focus on those weaknesses or else I'm missing out on what I really could be. Yeah. Right. So, so it, it is important to point out that, you know, Peter Drucker said it best. You know, Peter Drucker said, manage your weaknesses while focusing on your strengths. So it's not about ignoring my weaknesses. You know, if I'm a manager and I'm a very good strategic thinker, but have very poor people skills, it doesn't mean I should completely neglect my people skills. Yeah, I, I, should, I should improve them to a point where it doesn't hurt my performance and my ability to use my strengths. You know, I think about it in a, a soccer analogy. You know, you have a person who has amazing, just amazing uh, uh, footwork and, and, and kicks, but that person is slow. Well, you, that person does want to improve their speed somewhat so that they get into position to be able to, to kick. But they don't need to become an, you know, Ossian Bolt uh, or a Ronaldo. They need to be, you know, fast enough to position themselves uh, to be able to kick. So, Tal, as we get ready to wrap up the podcast, thanks so much for your time. I think our listeners would take a ton away, uh, not only from the things that you've mentioned so far, and then we're also going to talk about your new book, The Joy of Leadership, uh, and where we can steer listeners toward that as well. But I think with so much around peak performance, which is the aim of this show, and we've alluded to it several times here, it's the meditation, it is the 
uh, framing from being in the rat race or the hedonist to the happiness pursuit or happiness advantage. I know you've done some research on the power of breathing, piggybacking on the meditation part here, but I'd love to know as we wrap up, what are some of the rituals that have helped you pursue relaxation, recovery, happiness, any of those things that you feel like have really moved the needle in your life, uh, maybe including breath work and how you're using that daily in your own life. Right. So, you know, beyond the, the usual suspect, so, so I exercise uh, daily, you know, I, I do yoga. What, what I also introduce on a regular basis is a few deep breaths. So three to four deep breaths, um, four to five times a day, where I just stop for a minute and take five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out. Three to four such breaths. Um, in, in, in a sense, what that does is it resets the system and brings me to a point, to a, to a healthy point of, uh, of relaxation. And again, it doesn't take much, three to four breaths, but the key here, and this is the key, is to do it on a regular basis. So you do it, even if you do it three times a day or twice a day, but you do it every day. Um, uh, additionally, um, I, I would really urge the, you know, the, the listeners to look into some of the breath work uh, that's been done in a, a pranayama in yoga, whether it's uh, the fire breath or the you know, sh- short, fast, short breaths, uh, or uh, the three-step breath where you breathe into your, um, um, you know, the, your neck and then your, your, your chest, and then the, the, the third part of the breath is you fill up your belly. And then again, out of your belly, out of your chest, and out of your your throat. Um, you know, these kind of breaths, conscious breaths, can go a very long way in uh, in changing the, the the quality of your present and, if done regularly, future experiences. And are you using any sort of a guided meditation for your own practices, or any sort of an app, or what? What is your best go to at this point now of your life? Yeah, so you know, I've um, I've done a, a wonderful course called the Finders Course with uh, Jeffrey Martin that that taught uh, that teaches a number of uh, meditation practices and and what that course does and what I've done is I've looked for uh, I've, I've, through trial and error, you know, I've looked for things that 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 best re- uh, that resonate with me, that best work for me, and you know what I do is I I do simple what. It's called vipassana breath, which is focusing on the air going in and out through my nose, uh, and then and then body scans. I found very helpful as well. Boy, I try to do body scans whenever I'm doing my own meditation, and for some reason, that's the one where my brain uh, I can be so dialed into my breath and so locked in. And if I'm doing a guided meditation, and they say, "Okay, start scanning down through the body." Boy, my brain just goes wild. I have no idea why I haven't been able to lock that one in. But tell me about your new book and where we can point listeners toward finding it. I'm sure anywhere that books are sold, including Amazon. But The Joy of Leadership, I'm really excited to get my hands on this one. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, why why The Joy of Leadership or why leadership for your next book? What pointed you in that direction? So The Joy of Leadership uh, is a book I co-authored with uh, Angus Ridgway, who was a senior director at McKinsey and had worked on their leadership development program. Um, and what, what, what we essentially showed is that uh, happiness and leadership are two sides of the same coin. Today, there are two sides of the same coin, meaning for the 21st century leader, uh, in, a, in a world that's ever-changing, where, where creativity, innovation, thinking outside the box um, are, are not luxuries but must-haves. Uh, in this world, you look at the, all the research on contributing to happiness, 
and every single point there also contributes to better leadership. So we essentially laid out a framework for helping leaders at every level of the organization. And that, by the way, could also apply to a family, you know, parents, or it could also apply to teachers, uh, where leaders um, can follow a framework and enhance their levels of well-being, and as a result, also become better leaders. And where can we steer more traffic your way, whether it be your own website, social media, any place that people can find out more about you and your work? Yes, so my website uh, has uh, has links to the various projects that, that I'm involved uh, with, and it's uh, talbenshahar.com. Well, thanks so much. We certainly appreciate your time here today. I know the listeners are going to take so much away from this. And, uh, you know, I get excited about every podcast, but for someone whose writings have really impacted and changed my life, I was honored to have you on and uh, really had a great time here with you today. So keep up the great work. We wish you continued success and we'll be following you from afar and certainly going to get my hands on your new book. So thanks again. Right. And thank you very much, Jared, for all the work that you do. Guys, I loved having Tal on the podcast today and hope you took a ton away from his message about being more connected, the four personality archetypes, internal versus external achievements and how to frame that, and a whole lot about mindfulness and peak performance. If you guys would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do that is to shoot an email to my team at info at success101podcast.com, or you can catch me in the world of social media on the Facebook Success 101 Podcast community page or on Instagram under the name at Success 101 Podcast. I'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode. Until then.